I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to The Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, We are recording this on Monday, June 14, smack dab in the middle of June. Cannot believe that that's happened already. And it's flying by. At least three times so far this morning, I've written the date as five dash something and realized, nope, it's not May. It is almost July. (laughs) At what point do we go, God, this is like the slowest month in the whole world? Never. I know, right? They just get faster and faster. (laughs) Do you think that's an age thing, though? I mean, I think about when I was little, like when I was my kids' ages, and how long summer felt. It was amazing. I mean, I guess that's just the life with no responsibilities, right? Truth. Truth. I mean, when I was a kid, like the biggest thing was, do I have enough time to get in all of my summer reading so I can get a free pizza? Wow. (laughs) All right. Slightly different priorities. (laughs) Well, I heard it explained once, you know, when you're four, one year is a quarter of your life. And so as you get older, one year is less and less and less. And so maybe that's why the older we get, the faster the years seem to go by. I was working out with my trainer this morning and just like hating it and cussing at him because I was really hating what he was making me do. And he goes, you are adding decades to your life. And I was like, is that what I want? Is that really what I fucking want? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So how was your weekend? um, Hot as fuck. It's Uh, so fucking hot. (laughs) I I'm... Overheated, three days running, (laughs) which, you know, again, I know I've said this before. My ancestors were not meant to leave Northern Europe. Why the fuck did they come to America? I don't understand it. Yeah, this is true. But I am going to point out something that I am going to be pointing out pretty much the entire summer. And that is that I see you right now on video in your nicely air-conditioned room i have no air conditioning let's notice the difference of what we're wearing right now (laughs) yes i do have a little sweater on um but i'm wearing as few layers as possible you could have a pool (laughs) and you don't tonight's the night bullshit okay you'll believe it when you see it tonight's the night though it's happening I am going to put 20 bucks on it (gasps) that by tomorrow morning, there is not a functional pool. Done. Okay. Done. Stay tuned, listeners, because I need 20 bucks and (laughs) I spent the weekend at the lake and that's all I needed to get motivated to put the pool up. Oh, so my constant pleas were not sufficient. (laughs) Just say, like, compounded together. That was kind of the last yeah. thing that really made it a priority. How was your weekend at the lake? Oh, it was fantastic. It was so nice. Um, we are all burnt to a crisp. 
Um, so burnt everywhere, but we had a lot of fun boating, went tubing, jet skiing. Um, Roscoe, my dog, was like in his happy place. Aww. It's so fun because we can just go swim in the lake and he joins us and he just swims around. Oh my God. Amazing for a dog. I know. He just loves, it. he really deserves, I mean, what he was born for is having a house right on a lake where. Before everybody even gets up, he can just go out the dog door, take a quick lap in the lake, come back on his own. The worst part is I can smell that house and I don't want to visit. (laughs) (laughs) That is 100% correct. (laughs) Because we were in that car the whole way home. Oh, God. Oh, wet dog. I know. How about yours? Um, yeah, so besides being hot, it was good. We had um, a number of things for this city council race I'm involved in. I got some good biking in. Uh, we had Pride on Sunday. Yay, Pride. Yay. Um, for anybody who was in the motorcade, we like met at this parking lot in advance to decorate. And um, my candidate had a car, so we were there. And it was just so nice to see all these people. And, you know, not a they aren't people that I would see regularly. Like I'm not grabbing drinks with them afterwards, but they're still just like genuine kind people. Mm-hmm. And it was so nice to see them and hug and, you know, just celebrate pride for a day. It was awesome. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Um, I can't believe you went biking in this heat. Yeah. I really regretted it yesterday because I biked to pride at like seven thirty in the morning, which wasn't too bad. But then I had to bike home at 10 and it was already like the face of the sun. Yeah. So any years that you added back onto your life during your workout, you took off your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're gone. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for uh, Monday jokes with Nia? Oh yes, 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 yes. Let's I'm not hear it. forgetting this week. Um. So archaeologists are having a party to celebrate the unearthing of the largest dinosaur tibia ever found. Whoa, all right. It'll be a real shindig. (laughs) Why do you look so disappointed in me? (laughs) Uh, That's good. That's good. That's not where I thought that was going. All right. Yeah. Archaeology plus anatomy joke. I mean, that's how you start your day. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, I um, am super excited for today's episode because we are finally doing our listener stories. Well, I'm so sorry. But before that, you promised our listeners something. Uh Uh-oh. You promised a quick update on your first ever hybrid event. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. See, it feels like it's been three years already. (laughs) Um. We had our first hybrid event, and it went really, really well. Very well. Oh, I thought maybe you were going to do a sound that was like, yay. Again, I refuse. (laughs) I do not own a soundboard, nor will I be purchasing one. Um, I stand by my claims that I made last week that hybrid hybrid events um, are really fucking hard, that they're super duper hard work and you know here we were producing this show live in person and then we had the whole um, at-home audience that we chose to be our primary audience 
and going through dress rehearsal that day, it just became so overwhelming because I was trying to think about flow from kind of an in-person standpoint, and then sometimes that didn't make sense to the at-home crowd. And so, you know, there was a lot of, okay, well, if we do that, then what are the people at home seeing? And then if we show that to the at-home people, what are the in-person people doing? And it's just so many moving parts that there is a point where I just had to let go and say, you know what? I just have to trust that everybody here is going to know their part and just go with it. And we learned some lessons. You always learn some lessons. We did learn that the way we had set it up, um, anytime somebody used the microphone, you could hear it also online. So that the audio wasn't separated. Oh, interesting. And that was okay because we had written things that mm-hmm. that would work, except for when microphones were left hot <gasps> and the people in person <laughs> didn't realize it. <laughs> that is my literal nightmare right there is an unknown oh. hot microphone. Oh, my God. And it happened multiple times. Oh, my God. No. And I'm getting texts. Luckily, we had a staff person who was monitoring online, and she's texting me. I can hear people talking. And it was supposed to be at the pre-show slideshow. Yeah. So they there wasn't supposed to be anybody talking. And so I run to the sound guy, and I'm like, why do they hear people talking? Who's talking? Who can they hear talking? And it turned out it was our judges' table that we had forgot to (laughs) mute their mics. Um, Yeah, so that was fun. Luckily, as far as I know, nothing was said that was inappropriate or Mm -hmm. embarrassing or anything like that. And then um, our MC's mic was hot one time. So, yeah, you know, those are the things that you learn. But luckily, we avoided any major mishaps. That's great. And we beat our fundraising goal. Awesome. So, woohoo! And even better, we ended exactly on time. Ugh. Fantastic. We started on time and ended on time. And we had taken what used to be a two-hour and 45-minute live show and condensed it down to an hour and a half. Oh, lovely. And we did it to a T. Okay, now I'll insert clapping noises. So anyways, glad it's over. It was a lot of fun by the end of it. Um, You always ride that post-event high afterwards. Then you crash Mm -hmm. and you go to the lake. Um, But I'm glad we don't have another event for a while. Yeah. A little recovery time. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to bring up before we jump into listener stories is that – So my family has traveled the last couple of weekends, and we seem to always be coming home during the same time on Sunday, and my husband is a huge Grateful Dead fan, and so we're listening to SiriusXM's Grateful Dead channel, and there is a call-in show that plays every Sunday for decades, and it's called Tales from the Golden Road. Oh my God. So we listen to it a lot, and we were listening to it yesterday, and Gabriel said, you know what? You and Nia should do a call-in 
episode. <laughs> so I am putting it out there that I'm we're we're halfway there today with our listener stories, but it would be so wonderful if one day we could actually do a live call-in show. Well, that's kind of what we did when we did the live taping last holiday season. It was um little fireside chat conversation. So, yeah, I I feel like that might be how we need to celebrate 100 episodes. Exactly. Ding, ding. (laughs) So putting it out there, but I think it would be a lot of fun. All right, folks. Well, you heard it here first. In November, we'll do some sort of live taping with some listeners. It means people actually have to call in, though. Right. We do need people to actually show up. And we will tell you how in the next five months. (laughs) That's my worst fear. (laughs) We sit there and... The lines are empty the like whole time. the two of us can't find things to talk about, please. That's true. All right. True. All right. But we do have some good listener stories and questions for today, so we should jump in. Let's do it. Okay. First one is just a real sad story. The listener writes, while this incredibly frustrating story does not yet have an end, I have to share. Company X approached a local school district wanting to provide school supplies and backpacks. In fact, they selected this school district to participate in their nationwide program. The district then referred them to us, the supporting foundation, so we could use this to help with our annual school supply drive that we do each year. Our team met with Company X and they asked us to choose a Title I school to receive a thousand backpacks, plus an additional $10,000 worth of supplies for us to distribute to other schools and backpacks. Keep in mind that we coordinate the ordering and delivery of 12,000 backpacks across two districts every year. We rearranged our order to utilize this awesome gift. We picked a school and sent them the announcement, offered to recognize the company as a top donor to the school supply drive. We also notified the school because, of course, they want publicity for this donation. Today, two days after we have placed our program ride orders, notified the schools that they're getting this special gift from this company, rearranged quite a few logistical things to utilize this in-kind gift, the company says that the Title I school selected does not meet their free and reduced lunch requirements. Not enough students are opting in to receive free and reduced lunch in this school, so they may not want to work with the school district this year at all. What? Soon we will find out if we have to figure out how to find another $25,000 to cover what they said they would and if we need to reorder everything. Oh, and we get to also let that school know they aren't quite needy enough. Oh, no. That's so messed up. It's fucked up. It's awful. So many layers of fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounded like without knowing any of the details or the logistics or how it works out, you know, that the organization was told to find a Title IX school or Title Title I school, excuse me, Title IX, something different, (laughs) Title I school. And I was under the impression that to be designated a Title I school, you had to meet certain criteria anyways. Yeah, so uh, I'm not going to go and put this company on blast but it it is a common thing where we use title one often in nonprofits to designate the schools that have the lowest socioeconomic population that they're pulling from right but then this company had an additional layer so they were actually using a different metric why they wouldn't have said that this is the metric we're trying to hit that we need to hit 
Um, my guess is they're from a specific industry that has to give a certain amount annually to a certain level of need, um, financial institutions. And Is that your wink wink? Yes. To me? That was okay. my wink wink. Um, but why, why wouldn't they say that? If, if Title I isn't actually your benchmark, say that. Right. Exactly. Well, and I feel like this comes up so often. Um, I know when we're doing grants, trying to figure out how the funder is defining, for example, trying to decide how people are qualifying low income, yeah. right? Because that term can mean a lot of different things. And some do it based on, you know, if they're a school, like percentage of free and reduced lunch. Some do it on family median income. But even then, like there's different levels. And then there's like this federal median income for families versus your local, because that might be very different. Like it is where we live in Boulder County. That's so expensive. And I feel like that's half the battle Mm -hmm. is trying to figure out who's defining what and how. And are the, are you being compliant with that? Yeah. And I wish that those things would be discussed up front mm-hmm. and made clear so you didn't have one of these issues. It also just puts the, the school foundation in an awful position. Awful. Like, also, for them not to take accountability and say, you know what, either we're going to find some other pool of money we can use or we're going right. to be the ones to call or we're going to be the ones to find another sponsor. Like, take some fucking accountability for the shit you did. You fucked up, and the school and the foundation shouldn't have to suffer because of that. Yeah. Oh, I hope they're able to figure it out. Yeah. We'll have to get an update from them on whether or not the company was able to pull their heads out of their asses and be better philanthropists or not. Yeah. Okay, next one. I was just catching up on your podcast, listening about good and bad board members, and I have a question. My college roommate is on eight. Yes, count them eight nonprofit boards. It amazes me that anyone could sit on eight boards and have time to be effective on any of them. Do you have example of, let's see, Chad, Brad, Vlad, whether Vlad is a good or bad board member? He certainly cares about the organizations and probably gives money, so it might be a mixed bag. What do you think? You know, this is where people's intentions, they mean so well, and they spread themselves too thin. Yep. And I have two thoughts that come to mind of why this is not a great board member, um, and actually one of the worst kinds of board members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, number one, um, as a nonprofit staff member who is wearing 20 different hats, Nothing pisses me off more than having a board member say, I'm sorry, I'm just really busy right now. Mm-hmm. Because you volunteered to be here, and I recognize that life gets crazy at times. And so I'm talking about the people where that is kind of the rule and not the exception. Like right. that's the refrain we're constantly hearing from them. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is, as a board member, well, aren't you here to help support the staff? And we're telling you that we're overwhelmed, and this is where we could use some help. And when you're constantly telling us that you're too busy, it makes us feel like your time is worth more than our time. When you have chosen this position, this volunteer position to be on a board. And then number two is when then you give your money 
and let's say you're one of a you're a top donor well now i can't say shit to you about it right and now the board president doesn't want to say shit to you about it because they don't want to lose a donor yeah that power dynamic between board members as donors and board members as just fucking board members with fiduciary responsibility gets in the way all the damn time all the time yeah you know the other thing i was thinking is you know there different boards have different requirements of board members and different needs from board members right like i think your my experiences with small to mid-sized organizations where our board members are expanding our networks are actively involved in fundraising and recruiting new board members and so if it's eight boards like that there is no way you can be leveraging your network effectively no nope. for all eight organizations but if it's a mix of that and some you know, letterhead boards, so to speak, where you're just there to have a fancy name on the letterhead. Like maybe, but is that actually fulfilling? Is that actually doing anything for you? If like your identity is wrapped up in nonprofit boards, which I would assume if you're sitting on eight of them, it does, that doesn't sound very effective. So I would say, yeah, either way, it is certainly not a best practice and you're probably actually harming some of the organizations you're serving. I agree. Okay, we got another story. Okay. I had just moved back to Denver after living in St. Louis for four years. I had also just finished my master's certificate in nonprofit management and leadership and was looking for a development director job. I had been looking for a while and had finally taken a retail job to help pay the bills in the meantime. So I was pretty anxious to get out of that and back into nonprofits. Then I found a great opportunity at a small organization looking for a director of marketing and development. I was super excited because I had done some work at a marketing agency and many of my clients had been nonprofits. This felt like a job that was made for me. During the interview, there were many red flags. (laughs) Here we go. I tried to set appropriate expectations that while the job description read like 2.5 FTE, I was only one person working full time. Right, they understood that. Actually, no, they didn't. No. Oh, and my favorite, when I asked how many names were in their donor database, they said, what's a donor database? (laughs) This organization had been in existence for 85 years, and they had never thought to track who was giving them money. I negotiated not to have to do the grant writing and felt good about that win. I accepted the job with enthusiasm. How long did they last? (laughs) I soon found out. (laughs) I soon found out that the board had no intention of helping with fundraising. Neither did the executive director. They literally said to me on more than one occasion when I asked for their input and participation, that's why we hired you. That is your job, not ours. I spent much of the first year getting marketing materials put together. They didn't have a logo. Their mission statement was two paragraphs of jargon. None of the materials were the same colors or fonts or messages. The board was pissed I wasn't bringing in enough money. I found one board member willing to help me start a new special event. With sponsorship connections he either funded or brought to the table, we had a pretty successful first year that raised 20K net. The board voted to end the program the event was funding at the next board meeting. Stop it. Stop (laughs) it. This just gets worse. There was discussion of firing me for not doing enough. This only resulted in the only board member who was helpful quitting the board. I beat my head against the wall trying to find another board advocate, trying to help them understand the team effort, trying to make tiny progress on my own for another year. I really didn't want to give up, but in the end, I had no choice. I could not be successful by myself. I didn't have enough job experience yet to know both how messed up their expectations were and how common they were. I was only there two and a half years. 
Now I try to help young fundraisers not make that mistake and I encourage them to move on if they are in a similar situation. Oh, <sighs> this just breaks my heart. And hearing the story, it really epitomizes for me why one of the main reasons why I wanted to do this podcast with Unia is because this is a common story. Oh, so common and so awful. So awful. First of all, I can't believe they stayed two and a half years. I know. Especially after they fundraised for a program that the board then canceled. Oh, my God. How? 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 And then the other thing is, I mean, that's such a really great red flag and such a a warning for those of you out there that are applying for jobs. If you walk into any organization whose mentality is that you alone are going to be doing all the fundraising, get out. Run away. Yeah. Get well, out. First of all, it's not best practices. No. If that's like the kind of thing they care about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it's just not the the two and a half FTE being fit into one job description is too common. You and I were just talking about a job posting we saw recently where it was like they want 10 roles squished into one and they're going to pay you thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. And let's we're going to you know, you, this role is probably going to force you to work 60 hour work weeks, but we're going to pay you part time and with no benefits. Like, there's no way one person could be successful at all of the things just in the job posting, much less all the other things they're going to realize once they get in. And that's why, you know, fundraisers have the turnover that they do because these expectations are just unrealistic. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're bad at their job. No. They just, it's more than they can handle. It's more than one one person can do. And then I just, it breaks my heart that they're then treated as if they failed. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the fact that she, she or he wrote <laughs> in that letter, um, and then there was talk about firing me. God, that's just awful. How disheartening. Yeah. And putting on a successful first year event that nets 20K is amazing. Is awesome. Yeah. When they don't have a donor list they're pulling from, they have no history of sponsorships, they have no history of that event, that is incredible. But our boards don't realize that. They don't know. They don't, mm-hmm. they can't benchmark it to anything because they aren't in the sector usually. And then they make stupid ass decisions like canceling programming or discussing firing somebody. Ugh, it's enraging. It is. I hope that person is now successfully employed somewhere that they are appreciated. They are. I can confirm that. (laughs) (laughs) Wink, wink. Okay, next one. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us through your podcast. Oh. I listen when I'm in the car or out on walks, and I feel like I learned so much from both of you while also having all of my feelings validated regularly through your anecdotes. Isn't this like such a better letter than the one you read last week? (laughs) (laughs) I've only been in the fundraising space for a few years and for one nonprofit, but I'd love to ask you two questions. Number one, what are some podcasts that you enjoy listening to and learning from? Ooh, great question. Great question. Great question. 
Oh, are you asking me? <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, gonna I'm going to be... bring in another guest to answer these questions. <laughs> it's not just the two of us. Well, I thought maybe you would give your answer first. No, you. Um, so I'm going to be honest. Um, my podcast game, my podcast listening game has been off this mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. So I don't feel nearly as um, caught up. I mean, you should see my library. I have like so many different ones listed. Um, but none that I have listened to regularly lately. Mm-hmm. And then when I do, it tends to be more for entertainment. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like my um, my answer is not going to be helpful. We've said this before. We'll say it again. Um, we modeled kind of the uh, format of this podcast off of My Favorite Murder. So it has to do with murder. Nothing to do with nonprofits, but it is two women um, talking about different murders every week. And um, we just really loved the rapport that they had and so wanted to do something like that. Um, Nia and I also are huge fans of the podcast My Dad Wrote a Porno <laughs> and have seen them live. Um, so that's hysterical as well. Um, I just downloaded a new podcast that a friend shared with me um, called The Financial Feminist, Her First $100,000, which is supposed to be uh, a real kind of feminist take on women and wealth and how not only do we have the wage gap that we are battling against, but women in general tend to be either slower in investing or wait until later. So either they don't invest as much or they wait too long to invest. And so this woman is really trying to empower women to um, take control of their wealth accumulation and by educating women. So I've really enjoyed that. I just started it, but really enjoyed that. What about you, Nia? So I've got a few, um, and I listen to some other podcasts too. Also, my library is out of control because I'm yeah. Not commuting like I normally was, but I just I just did a, a round trip to Wyoming to meet with a client, so I got a bit more caught up. Oh, nice. So some of mine that are in the fundraising space or fundraising nonprofits adjacent kind of thing, um, The Ethical Rainmaker, which we've talked about a number mm-hmm. of times, is just... Absolutely. The, if you're listening to any other podcast besides ours, it should be The Ethical Rainmaker, especially if you're in any kind of fundraising role. Um, they do just such a lovely job of talking about um, really oppression in nonprofits and especially in fundraising roles and what we can be doing. Um, some other favorite ones, um, Future Perfect, their first season was all about philanthropy and like the historical roots of philanthropy in America. And I really enjoyed that. Um, What's Up With Karen is a local made podcast all about um, Karen's, meaning like the white women who get in the way. Anyway, those are just a few interesting ones currently in my box. So um, that's what I thought was going to happen, is that yours would be more answering the actual question and things that are academic or pertain to um, fundraising. But I would love to know, um, let's go through, name three that you're listening to right now that have nothing to do with fundraising. Nothing to do with fundraising. Um, so mm-hmm. there is a new season of My Dad Wrote a Porno that I am currently listening to. 
I am also um, deep into Land of the Giants. Actually, a client recommended this to me. Each season is about a huge corporation in America. So I'm currently listening to the season on Amazon, uh, which I feel like is going to be great primer for a future episode. Because um, it really just goes in depth on all of the, the shit they do. And then Maintenance Phase is my mm-hmm. other favorite one right now, um, where they talk about how fucked up diet culture and capitalism are in America and all of the awful things that have happened, especially to fat folks. Um, highly recommend it. It's another co-host it's great. Um, yep. show. And they, they've got some great banter, too. Yeah, they're awesome. So this is where you're going to see the real difference between Nia and myself. So the one that I've been listening to is Life, Death, and the Space Between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, right? And then I have been listening to, uh, this is like a total right turn here, um, called Presidential. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of that, but uh, the Washington Post did it, and um, she basically, each episode is a different president. And (laughs) she talks to a lot of different historians about those presidents and tries to find out not just kind of like what they're... She kind of goes over what they're known for, but then, like, how were they as a person? And so she talks about, if I were to date them, like, what would you – like, if they had a dating profile, what would it say? So it's kind of a different take on the presidents, learning a little bit of history there. And then um, the last one that I have been watching or listening to with my girls is called Mini Magic. And so it's a witchcraft podcast for kids. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what I was expecting you to say. Amazing. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And yes, we are very different people. (laughs) Great question. Second question from this. um, So this is the more work specific. Here's the, the context. At the nonprofit I work for, our executive director does all of the grant writing with a contracted grant writer. I've been in our development director role for a few years and have asked multiple times and ways for more experience with grant writing to no avail. I'd like to to add this to my resume because one, I love to write. I think I'd be happy in a grant writing role in the future. And two, it seems like the only area that I could gain professional experience and continue to grow as a nonprofit professional within the context of my current job. How can I get more grant writing experience if my executive director won't share those opportunities with me? Ooh. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, well, first of all, I mean, there's a lot of different trainings on grant writing, mm-hmm. um, both online and through um, different training agencies that hopefully maybe are doing in person again. So, you know, perhaps that's something that they their organization would support from a professional development standpoint though it sounds like that's what they're asking for and they're being denied um and i'm curious too if it's something that they could provide support with the current grant contractor um i I think it's a question of overall vision for the organization of, of where they really see that role going um, you know, if they're just happy with having a contract grant writer, which contract grant writers are great. Um, and 
I have seen personally the benefit of having somebody in-house who has more face-to-face interaction with the programming and the staff doing the programming, being able to write more robust narratives, um, and ultimately been able to find more funding because they have just a, a better knowledge of kind of what the goals are for the programming and where they're headed with it. So, I mean... That's also an argument that can be made. It's also be careful what you wish for, right? Because all of a sudden they could say, oh, great, then you're going to take this on too. Right. Um, And before you know it, you have more work than you can handle. So I would say if if you're asking me, I would say before you jump in and try to shift what's happening at your work – Maybe take a course on it and see if it's something that you even like. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, some other other ideas. If she could at least get copies of the current grants. And edit them. Well, edit them or even just review and kind of see mm-hmm. how they're structured and, and what it takes, what attachments are required. Um, you know, I would take that and then even look at volunteering to write grants for a small organization. That's how I got started. Um, I worked with a very, very small organization. We had one staff member. And so I started off helping write some of their grants. And then from there, I volunteered to sit on a grants review committee for a local Mm. foundation. That's great. Um, And I also just want to say, like, I recognize that that was a very privileged position, that not only was I working full time in nonprofits, but then I had time to volunteer just to get that experience. Um, So I also just want to validate that you're in a really shitty position. Yeah. Like your executive director should be supportive of your professional development needs. Um, and it sounds like you've done a great job of really thinking through what what you need to grow professionally in which direction um, and how they can be supportive of that. And so I'm, I'm also just really sorry that you're in this place. And it seems so uh, logical. I mean, it right. seems in line with what your job is. It's not like you're asking to go learn – I don't know, like some accounting course, mm-hmm. which which even then could be valid. But I'm just saying it's not a, an outlandish request for mm-hmm. professional development. And so I, I don't understand what the harm would be for the organization. And having your development director and grant writer working together also just makes so much more sense. So I would see where it'd be a benefit, even if you maintained a contract grant writer, but for you as the development director to be a point of contact – that just helps integrate it. Um, like my firm, we provide grant writing services, and they're always really intended to be short term. Meaning, I, this right. is not your long term strategy. In house grant writing is always going to be better because they're actually integrated, and some organizations aren't of that size. And so we can help you grow to a place where you can actually take that in house. Um, but I would always want to be working directly with the fundraiser who knows what's going on and what they're needing money for and how to talk about that. What messaging are they they using? So um, it, it also feels like they've added a layer of, I guess, oversight by having the executive director be that point person that is maybe not even serving the organization that well. You know, it's so funny what politics can do. I started at this organization once and Um, I've said this before, but my background is really in kind of building fundraising programs from the ground up. So coming in when they really don't have anything and building out a fully functional fundraising team. And 
I came into this one organization and they had a contract grant writer, the same contract grant writer they've had for 20 years, 20 years. And turns out that they had also had an executive director for about 30 years before I came in. Um, she resigned and then I came in kind of the next year. But I found out that the executive director and the contract grant writer were friends. And they had some kind of relationship. And so that agreement was kind of enmeshed with a personal relationship. And when I came in now under new leadership and the new CEO said, okay, well, what is the first position you want to hire? Everybody was kind of taken aback when I said an in-house grant writer. They really thought I was going to look for an events coordinator or a development manager to help me with data entry. And I thought, I can do all that stuff. What I can't do is write grants and write them really effectively while I'm trying to do everything else. But it would really benefit us to bring this position in-house. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it was really fascinating, the politics of breaking off that relationship with the contract grant writer Mm -hmm. um and we really kind of had to space it out over a year and kind of shift it in-house over the course of a year um but like by far it was it's still i believe the best decision i could have made because by bringing somebody in-house they really needed it after 20 years of having it contracted we really needed somebody our programs had shifted so much we were constantly creating new programs we needed someone who was getting all the real-time information as it was happening and being able to translate that into grants so Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know I I agree with everything that you said okay we got one more okay this is a complex one so Uh oh okay I'm ready the context We are a recreational club of sorts. Essentially, our mission involves supporting and raising money for local nonprofits. We do this through our members who pledge to make a monthly monetary pledge directly to local nonprofits. The more they engage in the recreational activity, the more they donate. The majority of money generated by our organization goes towards supporting, encouraging, and incentivizing our members, thus generating more direct donations to nonprofits. Revenue sources for us would include a one-time membership fee, merchandise sales, sponsorships, and potentially partnership with nonprofits where they would pay us a fee to be featured to our members. My question, in order to be more appealing to potential corporate and individual sponsors, should we become a nonprofit? I see that as probably being our biggest revenue stream, or would something like an LLC be easier and more appropriate? Um. I have no idea what kind of company this is. I wish you could tell me their name. Chat me their name. I'm trying to figure. It's out of state. This is from a a listener we don't know personally. Oh, okay. Have you heard of something like this before? (laughs) No. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it. It it feels like it. The closest thing to it is like an athletic club or a league. Um, like that donation piece to nonprofits isn't actually within that organization, right? It's not like they're taking the money and distributing it. So let's make up let's make up something so it's easier for me in my head to to understand how it works. So they're saying recreation, right? Okay. So it's like a softball league. Softballs are us. 
Stop Falls R Us. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> that does not sound right no. at all. Uh-uh. Okay, we'll uh, just call it a softball league. Okay. And so the more games you play as a member, you okay. commit to give more money to the nonprofit of your choice. You pay a membership fee to us, the softball league. We have some merchandise. Uh, we also work with local organizations, so we make the philanthropy easier for you. But you make a direct donation to these organizations, not through us. I have never heard of such a thing. I don't understand how it works. I really don't. Well, first off, my guess is, per IRS regulations, this would class be classified as a 501c6, like a business league, a chamber, an athletic league so in that case like the deductibility shifts right and so it i don't know that it would benefit to be a nonprofit because now you've got a board now you've got some different reporting requirements and like your your philanthropic purpose is more about promoting philanthropy than actually doing it. So if I pay $100 to be a part of this league as a member, is that $100 going as a donation to my charity of choice? No. Or is a portion of it? No. No. That is just going to maintain the operations of the softball league. And then, but then I sign up for, I know this is, they're probably listening and they're like, this is not it. I don't know what they're talking about. Because <laughs> we're just making shit up. But now I'm on the softball league and I commit to playing 10 games. Mm-hmm. And by playing 10 games, I'm committing to giving 10 times to the organization of my choice. Exactly. Yep. And I'm making that donation directly. Right. So it's not passing through this or- this company. Right. So... If they became a 501c3, then they would be granting out money? I mean, they would have to have some other public benefit to qualify as a 501c3, which right, which isn't part of their current model. That we know of. Right. Yeah. Well, I would love more information about it if you're listening. I thank you for the question and thank you for listening. But um, it doesn't sound like being a nonprofit would help. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the long and short of it in the question is, would being a nonprofit be able to attract attract additional sponsorships? And I don't think so because you, you wouldn't qualify as a 501c3. Um, and so then you are just – you know, kind of relaying the benefits of the program generally, um, which then your your nonprofit or LLC status doesn't really matter to these businesses. You know, whoever you're looking at for sponsorship, it's it's more about the exposure they're getting through you. Right. The marketing. Yeah. So if in that context, I would say don't don't waste the time to become a 501c6. Just go forward as an LLC. Um, you know, you might want to look into your specific state's requirements around membership organizations because there's always some little thing that's different. But in broad strokes, don't do it. <laughs> or talk to a tax person. 
Yeah. Yeah. You could always do that too. I mean, I, I don't know. I just get that. I'm like, I'm getting this sense that we should make a disclaimer that we are not tax professionals. <laughs> Is that because you saw me do that in the training last week? <laughs> yeah. So um, definitely talk to somebody who's a professional at this. But, you know, I think that that's also the other thing that we want to convey to people. And that's what we say when we say don't start a 501c3, don't start your own nonprofit, because there's a gajillion of them. And and it's hard. Like, it's not I, – I, people are just like, I'll just start this nonprofit, make it sound like it's just some easy-peasy thing to do. And it's not. No. I mean, I can say even just having an LLC as my business, the reporting requirements are so much easier than any of my nonprofit clients and what they have right. to go through. Right. And I have no board, and I can make decisions quickly. And <laughs> You don't have an audit every year? <laughs> There's no audit ever. Right. <laughs> I'm not IPOing anytime soon, so I think I'm good for a while. Yeah. Good question, though. That's great. And I know we've gotten some questions about that, too. Like, I, I appreciate that people are really thinking through, should I become a nonprofit or not? Um, because not yeah. every organization should. Exactly. Yeah. Well, folks, those are all questions from the last, like, two and a half months. So... You can start sending in questions now for our next listener episode. I think we're at a pace where we can do about one a quarter. So you've got stories, you've got questions, you send them our way. We are at nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at nonprofitreframe. And please support your local nonprofits. Give and give generously. Thanks, folks. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.